Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms where I give you a heads up about upcoming shows and which date and time they will be aired. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there. And you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Pelliser. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my True Believer stories that have collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStoryTime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marley with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. I'm doing very well. Uh, things are good here. I know everybody always asks me about my farm, my chickens, all the things that I'm growing. Yes, everything is good here. We're getting a lot of rain. Uh, even though I know you might, guys might not see this t um, today, but uh, out in the Gulf of Mexico, we have like this, like a storm that might be berry, but bottom line, it's drenching New Orleans. And, and as you know, New Orleans is... Um, unfortunately because they're below sea level this is a big problem for them but yeah for those of you who are familiar at all with florida and south florida weather you know that this is hurricane season for us so even though i'm really happy that we get a lot of rain because of the stuff that i'm growing out in the back the, all these trees um at the same time it's the, these are the months that we keep our fingers crossed because 2018 we were very lucky and i'm hoping that we're going to be just as lucky this year when it comes to hurricanes and storms etc but anyway, let me get down to the important stuff, which is uh, who my guest is today. And I know you are going to be excited when I tell you who my guest is. Her name is Robin Strom Mackey. Now, she has been researching and investigating the paranormal for the better part of a decade. Uh, during this time, she's written extensively about ghosts on her blog, The Shore, which is, can be found at DelawareParanormal.blogspot.com. She's also the founder and director of Delaware Paranormal Research Group. Uh, she's a medical professional, a mother and a wife. Uh, formerly, she was uh, taught English, communications and broadcasting. Uh, and uh, she was a TV journalist for the U.S. Navy. So, uh, let us welcome Robin. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? Fantastic, fantastic. It is great to have you on. And I am going to ask you, all my guests, all, all, all my uh, guests get the same question, and my audience knows that. Um, how did you get interested in the paranormal? <laughs> I mean, um, did was it a childhood experience? Was it something you developed later in life? What happened? Well, um, I've 
always been, um, even as a child, I was always interested in anything to do with ghosts. Um, you know, I had a favorite girlfriend and we would get together mm-hmm. and her older sister would tell us ghost stories until we were so scared that we couldn't go to bed at night. Yeah. Um, you know, I always loved the, the movies, the, you know, the shining and the yes, fog, yes. if anywhere oh my, my remembers yes. that. One. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it dates me, but you know, so it was, it was always an interest, um, but I never actually had a paranormal experience until okay. I was much older, actually, really? okay. um, in my 30s. Yeah. What happened? Well, uh, my husband and I bought uh, an old house in Pennsylvania, upstate Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And um, the first night we're moving in, actually, um, was the, the first encounter that I had ever had. Uh, we were um, cleaning the house, and uh, we had a very young son at the time. He was about two okay. um, when we when we moved in. So we put him down at his regular time because he crashed out. <laughs> he tended to crash out pretty early. So mm-hmm. we put him down in a bedroom that we had on the first floor um, in a nest of blankets and pillowcases and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he went sound asleep and my husband and I continued cleaning the house and unpacking boxes and moving things around until we were so exhausted ourselves. At about midnight we rolled out our sleeping bags and we lay down and we went <laughs> we went to sleep mercifully. Um, very very deeply because if you've ever been through a move, you know Oh yes, like, God. <laughs> Everybody doesn't realize the move is not the packing that is the unpacking. So absolutely I understand very well. Oh yeah, yeah, exhausting. So anyway, so we're sound asleep. And somewhere in the middle of the night or early morning, I get awoken. Um, I'm not quite sure how, but I I woke up suddenly and staring um, above me, you know, crouched down on the floor looking over me is a small child looking at me. And, you know, yeah, it's very dim and I don't, you know, and I'm groggy and, you know, (laughs) so I'm like, "Uh, what are you doing? So I assume it's my son. Right. And I said, what are you doing out of bed? And, you know, why are you up wandering this foreign, very foreign house? (laughs) You know, Lord only knows what time. And um, the child proceeds to get up and, like, moves down the hall, like, skips down the hall and and kind of disappears into the night. And I can't hear him, which is a really bad sign with a two-year-old because anytime you can't hear him. Yes. You know, they're into yes, something they like shouldn't be. It's too quiet, so. yes. Right. So I'm calling him by name. I'm like, what are you doing? Where'd you go? What are you doing, honey? Oh, you know, and I don't hear anything, and I continue not to hear anything. And I'm like, what's going on? So I get up, and I go down the hall to the first story bedroom that I had put him down in. And, of course, he's sound asleep in that oh. nest of blankets and pillows that I had put them in mm-hmm. so so at that at that time I was you know I wasn't thinking paranormal because I never had an experience to do with the paranormal at that time but I knew it was shockingly odd he for one has always been a very sound sleeper you, you put him to bed and he's out you know for 10 12 hours usually so right um but after that we continued to have occasional odd experiences um for one thing i um 
I was teaching at the time, and I woke one morning. It was about five in the uh, five o'clock in the morning, and my son was usually a very early riser. He'd always been. So um, I hear playing outside my bedroom doorway in the hallway, um, and I, you know, I. At, I said, you know, honey, it, it's way too early. I don't want to get up now. You need to go back to bed, get a couple more hours of sleep because I'm not going to be up you know, at 5 right, o'clock in yes. the morning to be watching you. And the sounds of playing continue and they continue. And, I'm, you know, I'm calling out to them, you need to go to bed, honey. You need to go to bed. And the, the sounds of playing continue. And so I go out into the hallway. And, of course, there's no child out in the hallway playing. And I go into his bedroom, which is across the hall from mine, and, of course, he's sound asleep again in his bed. So I'm thinking, you know, what is going on? And apparently my mother, um, who is not into the paranormal, um, she came to visit us one for for a week um and uh, we had it was one of those old victorians that had the front staircase and the back staircase for the for the servants yes so she hears the sounds of playing on the back staircase which are steep Mm -hmm. and he's small and so she's worried about she hears these sounds of playing a child playing on the back staircase and she's worried that he's going to fall down the stairs and break his neck of course so she goes down the back out to the back staircase and of course there's no child playing on the back staircase. And she didn't tell me about it. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah. My mother is, yeah, is, is patently not into the paranormal. Right, in other so, words, I think she was probably thinking, this conversation is going to go in a, way, in a direction I don't want it to go. It's true. It's I like, don't want it to, exactly. Yeah. So, she, so she, didn't, she didn't tell me about it until about two years later when I, wow. I think I was saying, I think my house was haunted. And she's like, yeah, I think it was. And you're like, what? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? Isn't it yeah. funny, especially when it comes from somebody like that, that it's like, okay, if you're saying that. <laughs> right, right. A patent skeptic is, is yes. someone to is someone to believe, actually, you know. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and, you know, very often his, his toys, his electronic toys would go off in his bedroom. I mean, that happened a lot. Um, he wouldn't be in the bedroom and the, there was one race car toy in particular that that would just rev up suddenly and start going off and I'd have to go up to his bedroom and turn it off and I always you know I'm skeptical myself I just assumed that the batteries were running low or the thing was right you know malfunctioning mm-hmm. um, and I really didn't think anything of it at the time but I just take turn it off take the batteries out you know replace the batteries if necessary and, and just go on, along with my day but right. looking back on it now I you know, I, yes. I think that there was probably perhaps something going yeah, on. Yeah, it's a lot of these things. It's only in hindsight when you start looking and you go, no, no, you know. But when, when right. it's happening, if you're busy and stuff, it's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, I had a brand new teaching career. I yeah. had a two-year-old. I yes. had house renovations going on, and I just I didn't have time. Yeah, I, I, sorry, but I don't have the time paranormal. to figure this one out. Yeah, yeah. So I just kind of brushed all these things off. And then, as I say, like you said, in hindsight, I was like, well, you know, maybe there was really something going on there. I just I didn't have time for it at that time. So sure. But it it, but at the same time, and I want to say, even though it sounds like a haunting, but it didn't sound malevolent. You know, it didn't sound it it was a little kid, you know, like more and more than anything mischievous. And it wasn't like nothing that you hear about in some hauntings where it's like. You just want to like race out of the house. It didn't sound like that. What was going on? 
No, absolutely not. It it never never felt that way. It you know it was it was a child. It was most markedly a child, and it was doing what children do. It was playing and being mischievous and curious, if nothing else. So. Did you ever see what was it like? Like a little boy, or did you ever see him again after that first time, that first night? No. I never saw him again after that first night. That was the only time I actually made a visual contact with him. But I, I believed it was a small boy because it played with my small son's toys, right. the car toys and the, yeah, all the things that that little boys are interested in. Right, right, exactly. And um, what happened? Did, did you guys move away or did it fade away? What happened with the, what was going on there? Well, um, I ended. Up, we, my husband ended up getting another job, um, mm-hmm. and it was um, down in the Delaware area. And so, after only two years, we ended up selling the house and, and just moving away. So wow. So that was kind of the end of that. But right. Yeah, that right. was my first experience with it. So. But that's a like that's a really neat because it was one of those things that, and it's almost like you said, even though it was an old house, you're. You're in the middle of moving in, and the last thing you're looking for is to have a paranormal experience, much less see a little kid ghost. You know, right. I, I totally understand what you're saying here. I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm ready to pass out. Right. Plus, I've got a bunch of other things, you know, to do. Right. And well, Anyone that's been in a teaching career knows that the, your first year of teaching, you don't do anything but teach. <laughs> you right, know, right. You, yes. breathe. Teaching, you're getting ready for classes, you're teaching, you're grading papers and you just you don't have time no, of course <laughs> and then not. I have a two-year-old on, on top of that but yeah but it definitely lit a fire of interest in me so that um when we had um you know when my son got a little older and i got a little bit more secure in my career um mm-hmm. and then i realized that you could actually research the paranormal you know all that that thirst that i always had um, kind of reignited and I said you know what this is what I want to do on the side this is what I want to pursue so yeah and it it became kind of a, a lifelong pursuit <laughs> well but you, you also had the advantage of having in other words but sometimes people are interested in they read about other people's experiences but they never really have what you even had which was an actual visual of a ghost you know, even though you didn't know it was one when you saw it, but it was like, right. even if nobody ever believes me, I know what I saw. Right, right. So what happened? Mm-hmm. You, you, um, did you join a group? Did you form a group? How, or did you just start to research uh, about the paranormal? Well, um, when I realized, I mean, and I have to account this to the ghost hunters, um, the ghost hunters television show. Right. I, you yes, know, I was, I, I was. I was cruising through the the cable channels one one day, and I came across uh, one of the first episodes of The Ghost Hunters, and I'm like, you know, it was one of those aha moments. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, these these guys are plumbers, right. and they research the paranormal. I'm like, I could do this too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. and I was hooked. So, and we actually are part of the Taps Family uh, Network now. We we went ahead and in. Uh, applied and mm-hmm. went through the vetting process and so I mean it's it's a great um, honor to actually be part of the that network um, yes. but um, yeah so I mean that was that was the um, 
the moment for me. I was like, if, if, if plumbers can do that, I can do that too. So I think that was really, I'm, believe it or not, initially, you're absolutely right. That was one of the appeals of that show, which of course was, oh, I, it was that these were or, like, you know how they, they did the presentation, the intro to the show, mm -hmm. which plumbers by day, you know, ordinary mm -hmm. guys. And then they were doing yeah. the paranormal, which was very appealing, I think. Uh, whoever thought of that was absolutely on the money with it. Yeah, it was an epiphany. So yes, yes. Yeah, and that was that was my that was my moment, and I um, I found a group in my area. Okay. Uh, and uh, I I remember I I filled out the application, and then I'd hover on the send button, and then I wouldn't send it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm thinking, do I really want to do this to my life? <laughs> you know, because yeah, I knew. Yeah. I, I guess I knew at the time that it was a commitment, and I had to be yes. fully in on yes. that commitment. Um, and and then I would fill out the application again, and and it wasn't a small application by any means. <laughs> and I'd fill it all right. out again another night, and then I'd hover on the send button, and then I wouldn't send it. And then I'd do it another night, you know, a week later, and I'd hover on the send button, and uh, yes. I wouldn't send it. Finally, one night I sent it. <laughs> you said, so, "Oh, well, okay, yeah, well, yeah." And, 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 <laughs> I, I'm, uh, you know, and a lot of people sometimes they, well, now it's become more common because, like you said, back when the Ghost Hunters came out, they were like the first of these reality type TV shows having to do with paranormal, you know, research and things like that. Because previous to that, there have been these shows, but had never been from, first of all, that reality TV, you know, you had In Search of and all these other shows, but usually it was retelling of historical ghost stories. Right, and, right, exactly. This was a whole new uh, take on it, and now it's become much more common. But I'm, people don't realize, and you were absolutely correct, that if you really, back then, if you got into that, it, you were making a commitment as far as giving up your time and things like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think a, a lot of people don't understand that even, even now, you know. I, I have people applying for my group all the time, and they... Mm -hmm. They have no conception of what it actually takes. They, they think yes. it takes 45 minutes like the television show. <laughs> well, no. And that's why I tell everybody, I said, do you know how, because I've been doing it since the 90s. Uh, and okay. um, I tell everybody, I go, yeah, you, you know, you get like, like you said, 45 minutes worth. Uh, and you go out, like I call them some stuff that are just duds. Nothing <laughs> happens. It's yeah. boring, you know. And, yeah. But if you're expecting like a, a a replay of what you see on TV, a lot of times it's boring, or you're disappointed, or it just doesn't manifest. I mean, some a million things that it's not as exciting. Yeah, every once in a while you do come across uh, an investigation that from the moment you get there, it's sometimes even before things are happening. But uh, yeah, a lot of people that don't know any better are kind of disappointed. I think when it doesn't live up to the expectations. Of right. what they see right. on TV. Well, and a lot of times too, they don't realize that the forty-five minutes that they're watching television, it took them three, four nights to film that. Yeah, or a and week sometimes. Yeah. Down into forty-five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, they, they do a lot of editing. <laughs> what yeah, they, what you got? What everybody three, sees? Yeah, you're right. Three or four nights of absolute boredom, and yes. three or four nights of pouring through endless hours of video and audio and uh, yeah. right 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 and, and and like i tell them you know the uh the, you know, these these shows they've got a production crew behind the scenes running around doing all the heavy lifting and you know mm -hmm. and setting anything up and you know everything else but 
Uh, that's not always the case when in reality, and, I, and I've been on, uh, because I was always a freelancer, I, would, I worked for, well, I worked with a research foundation that did all of Florida, and I would usually do South Florida, or if they needed, like I say, a warm body in another place, and they would you know, get in touch with me and say, Marlene, are you willing to travel a little bit? Why? Because a lot of times, not all times depending, but if it was a residential investigation, it could only be done on a weekend because this is the only time the family was able to have anybody come to their house. And that's another thing that will fizzle out potential investigators is like, you mean I have to give up my weekend? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) you do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I know what you mean as far as uh, expectations. Everybody thinks, doesn't realize the reality of the reality show, in other words. (laughs) Right. So you you went into it, which was great back then, where because I think a lot of stuff has evolved even from those first, you know, the beginning when Ghost Hunter came out, and uh, so you've definitely you've been immersed in that. Uh, and how was your experience going in there and working in a in a team setting? Well. Um... It was it was fine. I, I, I lasted about maybe two years with the first mm-hmm. team I, I worked with. Um, okay. And um, as you, I'm sure, are well aware, there, there are a lot of egos in this. Oh, paradrama, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and the first group I was in was um, the, uh, the hierarchy was all male, and I, I felt a certain, you know... Um, yeah, um, Say downplaying, it. <laughs> downplaying of my abilities simply yeah. because I was I was female. So, yes. um, you know, they often overlooked me to to um, for anything doing with the technical department, for example, which was mm-hmm. ironic because I made my I made my living in um, television and radio broadcast. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Yeah. Oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, they'd, they'd put out emails and say, well, you know, we're looking for new um, video equipment. Does anyone, you know, we're going to call in um, Joe and, and Harry. And I'm like, well, I'm probably the foremost right, <laughs> but God, in, the, yeah. in the group. On Yeah, so I just, I, I started to feel very overlooked. And if I did report something, you know, along the paranormal um, realm, they, they w- would often poo-poo my um, mm-hmm. findings. And I, you know, I started to feel very <laughs> disenfranchised very yes. quickly. Um, so I ended up going out on my own. And um, for a few years, I um, went out, as you said, you know, just uh, like on my own. And, mm-hmm. and I started writing. Uh, uh, I started the blog about then. I started writing heavily and okay. researching heavily in all sorts of different um, um, areas of the paranormal, you know. And, and a lot of this is um, you, you, you're not just a paranormal researcher, but you're um, a researcher into science and a researcher into psychology and Absolutely. a researcher into sociology. You have mm-hmm. to wear so many hats. There's so many different areas that you have to be facile in. And um, so I would research these areas and I would write about them. I would do the occasional investigation. But then I realized that, you know, I, I needed to start getting out there a little bit more and doing a little bit more investigating. Um, so I, I, I basically um, 
form my own group at that point and and yeah. kind of you know establish myself in that way so and i've been going ever since so i'm glad you pointed this out because a lot of people don't realize that if you're going to historical investigations when i mean historical i mean basically you're going to maybe a place that might have tours but doesn't in other words you you know you might speak maybe to docents or you know tour people or that'll tell you about their experiences but it's not the same as a residential investigation which when you were talking about psychology sociology which you're actually trying to help somebody or getting information from somebody that's actually living in this house it's totally mm -hmm. different from going to investigate a location whether it's a, a historical place a park a cemetery whatever where it's you know you're going maybe by a lot of uh sometimes urban myths uh like i said or people that work there or they're during but it's it's a it's different there's something that happens i think to people when you live in a place that's got some type of phenomena going on so let's face it right. this is where you live right and sometimes you do come across uh and i don't know if you've had this experience investigations where you know you you're more sometimes there's concern about you know how good a, rea a, gra a grasp on reality the people or a person living there has when they describe what they're experiencing yeah, absolutely um, you know and by this i'm not saying because you know sometimes people who are really having genuine experiences you know people overlook them or dismiss them because maybe they they think oh you know they're not wound too tight you could be a little bit cuckoo that doesn't mean you're not experiencing stuff but still you have to look at that aspect you know if there's any type of drug use all these other things but people don't realize it's a little bit more complex depending on what type of investigation as far as the hats that you wear if mm -hmm. you're really truly invested in doing a good investigation versus sensationalism if you know what i mean which is like oh um, i absolutely know right no, all i'm looking mean. for yeah. is my uh great you know uh oh my god this is this is gonna go viral or this is great you know and it, you really don't do the research or you don't care how or what or what really is you know was was that really supernatural phenomena or was just that something that looked great on maybe on a video or a photograph but could be easily mm -hmm. explained and mm -hmm. you know i'm sure you've come across that so yeah and it's funny because you i've i've that thing that you said about deciding to start your own group i've heard that from so many par paranormal investigators of which i've been doing it for a while in other words that they're committed to it that they get to the point where they're like you know what i gotta do my, i gotta do my own thing and just bring in I, where i set the rules and then i bring in a team and i put a team together um for various reasons some of them very much to what you described especially if you're a woman if you're female yeah so what, ha what what kind of investigations were you doing? Were you doing residential or were you going to historical locations? What were you what were you investigating? Um, basically, with the with both teams, uh, we've done kind of a combination of of residential um, and historic locations. We don't do. Um, I do make a distinction, um, and I, and I think you kind of made it yourself that there's there's paratourism mm -hmm. and then there's paranormal investigations and i yeah. i have always made a distinction between this is 
this is not pure entertainment. This is mm-hmm. a, an investigation. So, and we've always, I've always done paranormal investigations. We don't do paratourism. You know, we don't yeah. do ghost walks. Or, and and if we do, you know, we have on occasion, you know, done some money-making um, things. But, but I make the distinction even then. I'm like, this is for entertainment. This mm-hmm. is not to... It, um, forward uh, paranormal research. So if you if you do have a good time, if you do you know <laughs> yeah. think you've um, experienced something, that's great because you paid the price of admission. But exactly. this is not it. This is not advancing the field, and I don't consider it to being so. But right, um, right. So, if you happen to catch a great photograph, good for you. But right, yeah, yeah. right. But yeah. So um, so we do uh, we. I try to do very. Um, circumspect uh, investigations we keep um, the amount of people at an investigation to a bare minimum mm-hmm. um, you know we try to contain any you know any evidence that we might gain we keep the level of contamination down right um, so we, we do uh, I, I do a very careful um, I do very careful investigations so i invest a lot of time a lot of effort a lot of money into my investigations and so i i <laughs> try to make them yeah sure um, as contamination free as as possible so but we do do um we have done uh, uh haunted hotels we did a haunted fort um okay. but we've done a, a lot of residentials as well i, I think right. we probably do mostly residentials but right Right. Yeah, which is, and that's another thing that you consider, you know, it's when you just mentioned right there, contamination. You know, if you're lucky enough, let's say, to gain access after hours to a location that's empty, you know, your fear of contamination is different than maybe with a household where there's people living there or if they have pets or if they're, whether they stay behind or not during the investigation. It, it's just a different layer. Sometimes the air is smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are a lot of people don't realize that those are things. Um, you know, is this house close to a railroad track? You know, where you know, or or a busy street where you've got right. sound of traffic or lights. You know, coming right. in through windows, reflections, all those things people don't realize have to be thought about. All um, those things. That, yeah. Or you know, you don't get all excited about nothing after <laughs> you have. You know, it gets debunked when you realize there wasn't yeah. anything really there. Um, and uh, have you come across any um, investigation? Let me ask you something. What happened? You wrote a book called The Anatomy of a Ghost. Um, mm-hmm. Does this have to do as far as what you found throughout your investigations, as far as what it is exactly what a ghost is, or, or what is that book about? Well, Anatomy of a Ghost was um, basically a research book that mm-hmm. I did um, about all the different theories out there about what ghosts are and what the paranormal um, might pertain to. So I, I delved quite a bit into um, the lore, the ancient lore of ghosts. So I talk mm-hmm. about, um, um, for example, the Egyptians' ideas about what um, ghosts were in the soul and right. um, I talk about um, the spiritualist movement quite a bit you know okay. because I think it all kind of began there um, mm-hmm. with the spiritualist movement and the uh, parapsychologists um, then I talk about the m- more modern theories of what the paranormal is and what the ghosts what actually ghosts are 
conceived to be and what poltergeists are conceived to be. Um, right. I talk about uh, some man-made ghosts, um, the theories about like the, the Philip experiment where they created basically a ghost out of their own minds. Right, um, like a topo, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I talk about topos too. Right. But uh, yeah, the, the Philip experiment was more about um, psychokinesis and, and proving that you know gr- a group could could uh, manipulate psychokinesis to create a, a, a spirit of their own, basically. Right. Um, and I also talk about other things like shadow people, shadow people phenomena, mm-hmm. um, after death communications near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences. So I kind of tried to do the whole gamut of the the ghost experience in that book. Right, because people, I I mean, if you look, you know, God, there's been fear of ghosts, let's call them ghosts, I mean, since ancient civilizations. And, you know, you go from the, uh, where people, you weren't even allowed to mention the deceased name and every effort would make, be made to make sure that they left and then there's like others that translate into ancestor worship uh, right but there's always a lot of fear in other words with all these different civilizations uh in that they had no uh no crossover no contamination and they all had that fear of slash respect of the of deceased human or being the, the spirits yeah depending mm-hmm. if they were restless in other words every effort was made to appease them and like have mm-hmm. them move on and make sure you didn't do anything to to make them stay behind and mm-hmm. um they were uh you know it makes you you know for those people that say well you know superstition i personally i think when you do the research it's very strange that you have all these different cultures countries continents apart that have that one common denominator which was fear of the dead as in the spirit of the dead that chose mm-hmm. to stay behind. In other words, they all thought it was a problem. Um, yeah. And um, and like I said, some of, some cultures were would forbid you even to talk, you know, mention that person's name for fear of that this was going to keep the that spirit, you know, to to linger Around. behind, and then you know you had a big problem on your hands. Um, and uh, and even same thing, you know, you know how sometimes we hear about. You know, more modern times where you would hear, oh, there was a tragedy or murder or suicide at his house and it would get a reputation for being haunted. Right. And that was the same thing in all these different locations across the world, regardless of what the culture was, where, you know, something right. bad happened at a house. It was it was like, you don't want to move there, you know, like bad. This was like, right. like a cursed either house or place or anything like that. So yeah. when you see that, it's that I, ca- I call it like a shared human experience, which is like, yeah, superstition maybe, but it's like, yeah, too many, that, that seems too real. Um, and for all these different peoples to kind of describe the same thing, which is, of course, the existence, you know, of the, of the human, what do you, I don't know if you want to call it the soul or the conscious awareness of that person after death, in other words. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that are that think, you know, once you die, that's it. You know, you go in the ground and your your consciousness is gone. There's no more you. And also when you mentioned that thing about the spiritualism, I think a lot of people uh, don't realize that. I th- I personally think that it also developed because this was, there was a lot of wars, the civil war where people, a lot of people had lost loved ones. And I think there was a big desire to like reach out and have, 
you know, kind of reconnect sometimes with uh, a deceased, either father, son, brother. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, um, that, you know, maybe for some, I mean, some families never even knew uh, what had happened to their loved one. They might have fallen in battle somewhere and they were never heard of, so they were just reported as dead or missing in action or things along those lines. And uh, and I tell everybody, you know, because, you know, but around that time when you were mentioning that thing of spiritualism, you know, that even a little bit, you know, after that, there was they were saying, oh, that there was also a lot of um, frauds, you know, as far as psychic mediums. Mm-hmm. And I tell everybody, you know what, I think the problem would come in. I'm not going to tell you there weren't people that were doing, you know, fraud. You know, basically they were taking the advantage of people maybe that were heartbroken or, or wanted to. But I think uh, I, I think that sometimes there were genuine mediums out there that, unfortunately, this is how they fed themselves and had a roof over their heads. And I think that when you had a parlor full of people that wanted to see manifestations, it's like, Maybe you could do it, but not every single day or, you know, or every week or, you know, so they kind of fell back on doing um, basically tricks, for lack of a better word. But it doesn't mean that they were all totally frauds. It's just that they couldn't do it consistently, in other words, to keep the money coming in. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a possibility. Um. Um, Let me ask you when... um, have you ever had any, did you ever go on any investigations that you felt like, you know, because of what you encountered there that you needed, it was either that you had, you wanted to refer it out or it was beyond the capabilities of the team as far as maybe because it was a very dark haunting? No. No, I haven't. No, <laughs> no, no. I'm curious no, because I... some people, you know, some people do, some people don't. Others I've heard that they haven't, but they always have like a, they have either clergy or somebody they can refer it to if they say, you know, what what's going on here is like, this is not like your ordinary, I've got a dead person in the basement kind of deal. What's the strangest case that you've had that been involved in? Well, we did have a, a case um, that I wrote about in my second book, actually, on the hunt for the haunted, which um, appeared to be a case where the homeowners were becoming um, temporarily possessed by um by the spirits um in particular the the homeowner's boyfriend was um they were doing extensive renovations on the house Mm -hmm. and um the uh the former homeowner had been a a rather um unlikable person (laughs) to put it kindly um, and he'd been the he had been the original owner um, builder of the house, and um, when he passed, I believe he passed in the house mm-hmm. um, in in a recliner that he had used extensively in the last couple of years of his life. He'd been in a wheelchair. Okay. Uh, he'd been a a, a diabetic, um, so he was um, not getting around very well. His eyesight was dimming, um, and um, he had spent the last couple of years of his life um, comp- pretty much totally alone. Okay. Um, because he wasn't a terribly likable person. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so the uh, the the woman that purchased the property purchased that purchased it on auction. Um, 
and w- with all the uh, former contents of the home, um, you know, the previous owner. So every, wow. so she basically bought a rundown house with all of the all of the former owner's possessions in it, including this recliner that I I think I had already mentioned. Yes. Um, so she was pretty much um, renovating the entire house. She added on rooms. Um, she gutted other rooms, you know, all the other rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a boyfriend that lived next door, <coughs> excuse me, with his uh, father, actually. Um, and he would come over and help her with the renovations while he was starting to have these strange behavioral shifts um, where he would fly into these unaccountable rages. And um, he was at times being very belligerent, very um, aggressive towards her. Uh, He was also being very aggressive to his father, uh, a man with whom he had a a wonderful relationship. At one point, he um, punched his father out on the front porch and threw him off the the front porch. Yeah, so, um, and a neighbor that had lived in the neighborhood for many years, um, witnessed this when he attacked his father, and she accounted, or she told her husband at the at the time. She said, "That's just like Wilhelm had down. He sounds just like Wilhelm, which who was the former owner." Um, oh, so, wow. yeah. So, and he was also, as I say, being very aggressive towards his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and twice he ended up chasing her out of her own home. Um, she was trying to get away from him. She would go to her car and get in her car to try to get away from him. And he would uh, jump up on the hood and start jumping up and down on the hood. And uh, one time, the second time it happened, he kind of, he said he came to, and he had no idea how or why he was up on her hood, jumping up and down. And I, I remember him saying, you know, I woke up, I kind of woke up and I was like, what am I thinking I'm going to get out of this? <laughs> right, right. You know, I'm, I'm pounding holes in her hood. So and he jumped down and, um, and that was about the time he called us, actually. Okay. He's like, uh, there's, something, there's something really weird going on and I need you to come over and, and help me with it right now. So. Yeah, because that's, so, that's just um, that that's being he was physically aggressive. It wasn't just like a mean disposition. No. He was. Wow. Yeah, he was being physically aggressive, and it wasn't in his—it wasn't his personality. He was a very okay. mild-mannered personality. So he had us in, and we we did the walk around and um, or the walk through, and you know he told us about all the different things that were going on, and and he was telling me about in particular about this recliner, and he said, you know, this is the recliner that Wilhelm lived in for the last couple of years and it's reported that he passed away in this recliner he said i sit down in the in this recliner and and he was a smoker he said and i immediately go to sleep and i drop my cigarette and i we're looking at this recliner it's got all these burn marks (laughs) in the fabric he said and you know I'm I'm at this house and my hips and my knees start to bother me. He was he was probably in his early 40s. I mean too okay. too early for this kind of thing to go on. He said, and, you know, and they hurt me and they ache all the time. He said, and then I noticed that my eyesight starts going out on me and and I can hardly see. And he said, but then I go back next door to my father's house where I live and I feel fine. That wow. I I can't account for what's going on. And so. Um, I kind of 
figured factored in all these things that were going on and i said well how about we get rid of that recline yeah let's start with that <laughs> yeah let's start with that and see what you know what happens with that so he took the recliner um out to the burning pit and he basically burnt the recliner and um right. in a big old bonfire and um at the time when he was burning the bon uh, burning the chair and the bonfire he reported to me that he saw um a man standing up in the fire and a small girl child wow and let me ask you something how about her did she ever have or was it just he was the target of whatever was going on i mean as far as the possession or whatever was going well, on yeah he tended to be the object of the aggressive mm -hmm. um possession but she also was and there was a small child uh spirit supposedly in the house as well um, and he found her one day. She was an, actually an amputee. She had been amputated on one leg from the knee down. Okay. And so it was it was very difficult for her to get down on her knees. So when she was, you know, doing renovations on the house, she tended to not get down on her knees. But he found her in the back bedroom one day on her knees, humming to herself. And uh, all around her were these pictures, you know, on, on that that gray paper that you buy for kids, you know, the mm -hmm. cheap paper, um, were all these, um, like, watercolor paintings Okay. Um, that looked like they had been done by a small child. And uh, I actually have pictures of these watercolor paintings. Um, wow. You know, one of them was a rainbow. One of them was just, you know, just streaks, like, made with a brush. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them had a few words written out on it. Um, and so he kind of, he walked into this back bedroom and he finds her, you know, amidst all these drawings. And of course they didn't have children. She's an older woman. She right. has a granddaughter. That's who the supplies, the art supplies have been bought for. Right. But the granddaughter actually lives in California. So there was no way that the yes. granddaughter had, had done these, these paintings. Um, so he kind of wakes her up and he's like, what, what are you doing? She's humming to herself and he says, what are you doing? She goes, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. So he, he picks her up. He helps her out of the room. Um, she has no recollection of how she got there, you know, who the, the paintings were by. Um, so he goes back into the back bedroom and he goes over to a jar with um, paintbrushes and he feels the paintbrushes and they're wet. So, yeah, so at the time, you know, when I went, and she's a very level-headed woman. I, you know, I love that kind of client. Mm -hmm. um, she's very level-headed. She's very skeptical. She's like, you know, I'm not sure I believe in all this. And I said, do you have any recollection of how you got on your knees, where those paintings came from, why the brushes were wet? She says, no, I, I have no I have no recollection of, of any of that. So, wow. so there was... Some definite, yeah, some definite uh, suggestions that she was being, um, as like I say, temporarily possessed, yeah, by the by the child. So, and what happened after they burnt the uh, the chair? Well, he he burnt the chair, and um, they also had he also had a um, minister in from uh, a local church, okay. and after he did that. Um, the aggressive type of uh, manifestations, the aggressive type of haunting beast. Okay. 
they were still having, they were still experiencing uh, the child spirit. And there was also um, an old, a woman spirit in the house that could, that was dressed in like 18th century clothing. Okay. That could not possibly have come from that house because that house was built in the 70s. So it was, but um, the homeowner's boyfriend was seeing this woman almost daily. Um, but after they, they burnt the chair and had the minister in, the aggressive type of manifestation ceased. And so they were just dealing with the, the, the little girl child and the, the woman that we that we investigated. So so we did come in and do a full investigation. Um, we did get some extremely, extremely interesting EVPs out of that evening. Probably the best EVPs that uh, I've ever captured in the entire and where, what was the source history the, the old been... man or I mean or was it from the other two no it we got uh, mainly EVPs from what sounds like a, a, a woman okay you know it was they weren't childlike at all um, and these two EVPs in particular sounded like a woman um, repeating the same thing over twice over it was like a like a personal mantra it, it mm -hmm. starts out with very discernible but indecipherable uh, whispering and it's like and then mm -hmm. you get these very distinct words that says that said um i can't go out anymore it's been five months i believe it was and then um and the one says in Delaware, and the other one does not. So that was the only switch over between the two of them. But it was like she was explaining to us why she could not leave the house. You know, I, I can't go out anymore. It's been five months, or it's been five months in Delaware. So it was, it was very, very odd. Right. But very unique. So, you know, and, and you usually get a, an EVP. It's one or two words, maybe three or four. Yeah. But this was... You know, these were full sentences. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And again, who knows what might have been there on that piece of land way before there was any type of development? Right. Or I mean, that's right. you know, and sometimes yeah, the development the development came in in the seventies, yeah. early seventies. Yeah. But it could, I mean, it was it, it could easily have been farmland before that. So sure. I always speculated that it came in, off, you know, a torn torn down old farmhouse, and she just yeah. simply migrated. Yeah, yeah, people don't realize that sometimes you have structures and then they get old or demolished and then it'll stay empty land for years. In other words, people don't remember, you know, there's nobody around to ever say, oh yeah, there was an old farmhouse there because, you know, as the city maybe expands or they develop it, nobody's out right. there to say, yeah, 50 years ago, this used to be a farm. You know, right, sometimes, right. but a lot of times there's nobody around to point that out and not everybody has the wherewithal or the desire, let's say, to go down to like a government office and look up a track of land and see what was there once upon a time. Right. Well, and sometimes the records get destroyed. Oh, yeah. You know, there, yeah. There, there's fires and so, yeah. There was... Um, that was there very was, interesting. Well, there was a case, and I've spoken about it on the other shows, and I, I was dry. It was down in Texas. And I okay, I remember now. It was called the Black Hope Cemetery. And it was something similar where a piece of land was used for like, you know, like you could build like a custom home. Like a, the developer would build a house for you, in other words. 
Okay. And this happened, I want to say, late 80s or early 90s. And initially, eight houses were built. And they, they, they found, after one of the persons living there was digging uh, for, a, for a swimming pool, they came uh-huh. across some coffins, you know, wooden coffins. Oh, dear. Turns, there, turns out that this piece of land where all of this had been developed on had been a a, an African-American cemetery. But, yeah. you know, as a matter of fact, the owners, they tried to go out. The developer didn't know because the, this was like an unofficial graveyard. In other words, there was, even if you would have gone to county or city records, you know, that there was never, there was, there was never any document that said that piece of land is being used <laughs> for, as a cemetery, as a graveyard. What had happened was like maybe like around the turn of the century, there was like a the, the piece of it was like a little town called Black Hope, and um, there had been a big fire, and you know I guess they nobody decided to rebuild, but during the time that it had been occupied, they had been using that plot of land uh, for burial purposes, and what okay. happened was of course they, they they weren't you know a lot of the people in that area really didn't have any money so whatever markers they would put would be made of wood, which of course with time obliterates. So that's why nobody knew or remembered, or even if you looked on official records, Mm -hmm. did it show that once upon a time that there were people buried there. Right. So sometimes, yeah, people don't realize when you get those, uh, like what you described, the, the ghost of this lady, which looks by the way she was dressed as she definitely predates the time of the development right you know really what are her origins you know it, it, it could have been or sometimes people had little um you know what they call those little family graveyards that people would have near their homes right, and right. then you know the like you said everything's destroyed the family moves away you know if they had markers if they were made of wood they they basically uh just also fall apart and nobody's none the wiser uh, until you get something like that and as far as the child no they had no idea or was there any any idea who the child might be no um, there wasn't um, he was he was a widower um, he'd been married mm-hmm. but um, she'd had one child this was another strange anomaly of the case they had been married 20, 25 years, Um, and she had a child listed, an adult child, male adult child, Mm -hmm. who was only 19 years old, but was not his son. Okay. So, (laughs) right. Try to figure that one out. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) in fact, the day that she, the wife, yeah, so the day that the wife passed away in the hospital, he came home from the hospital and kicked the adult son out. Um, oh, so, so we have, yeah, so we had no idea, um, who the little girl was. Um, and it was, it was strange because when we were doing the, when we were doing the investigations in the, in the walkthrough, um, there was a, it was a, basically a house built on a, a, um, not a a basement, but a a crawl space underneath the crawl space. There was a crawl space underneath and it was basically just like a sandy crawl space. Mm -hmm. It was just basically ground. And so we looked in this crawl space and there was evidence of clothing and a a sleeping bag. So 
So it had looked like someone had been camping out underneath the house. And we, we speculated that the adult son, once he got the boot, um, went and lived underneath the crawl space for a while. Um, so it was a very, as I say, it was a very, very odd situation. Right. But, in other um, words, if that was the case, God knows, maybe this this guy got didn't have money. Like, okay, even though he was an adult, right. it was like, what do all? What can I do? I guess I'm going to have to sleep under the house. Yeah, which right. kind of ties right. in with what you were saying that he was not such a nice guy. No, he was a very not nice guy. So, and um, one of the uh, one of the residents actually was a, a retired police officer, mm-hmm. and he had told um, the uh, owner and her boyfriend that. Uh, the late Wilhelm was reportedly a pedophile. Oh, now that does now yeah, see that puts a um, different so, twist on it. Totally yes, that, that puts a, a totally different twist on it. Um, uh-huh. So uh, we did look into his um, police records. He didn't have any police record. That doesn't mean, mean that he, yeah. you know, maybe, perhaps he never got caught at it or Absolutely. never got yeah. arrested for that. But mm-hmm. um, but we, you know, certainly worried that the little girl child might have been yes. a victim. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. You know, yeah, I, sure. I hate, I hate to think the worst of people, but. Um. Well, you know, well, you know what? In 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 the perfect world, everybody that does something wrong, criminal or otherwise, gets caught or brought to justice or gets their just desserts, right. but. There's right. a lot of people that do things, first of all, no one ever knows that they did it, so much less do they ever, you know, go to jail or are even exposed. Right. Uh, you know, if, if for okay. all these, you know, whether it's a criminal or a murderer, you know, the, you know how they talk about these people that talk a lot because they're wanting to get caught or these serial killers, you know, that send uh, stuff to the newspapers or because they're, they're like all narcissistic. I say there's mm-hmm. a whole slew of those running around that have no desire to get caught. In other words, they don't send right. notes, they don't send letters, they don't taunt the police. Right. And they die of old age in their bed. And I know it sounds very unfair when you think about or it. In their- but the others, and of course nobody knows about them because they're, they're very happy being anonymous. Coming right. to the point of what you were saying, if, if this was a circulated rumor about this guy, uh, right. you, like you said, even if he wasn't arrested, that doesn't preclude that mm, at some point by, he... Uh, by a, a former police police officer, which, you know, obviously right. gives it more credibility. So, sure. Yeah. And you know yeah. what? And sometimes, I, I mean, I don't know how big... was he, Had he been a police officer in the force right there in that area where he lived at? Um, I don't know. I never, okay. I never got a chance to interview him, but okay. but I would assume because he'd been living in that area for a number right. of years. So. Yeah, as I was gonna say, some a lot of times cops, especially if they've been in that serving in that same area for a long time, they know everything about everybody. Even if you know, like right. in other words, they already know who's does what. Right. Unofficially, <laughs> they they just right. they just know right. it. Um, and yeah, it's it's. That's a, that's that's see that's a really interesting slant that God knows there's just no way to ever prove it one way or the other. Right. And Wilhelm probably took that secret if there was one to his grave and beyond. <laughs> and beyond, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah people. So. But uh, that thing of it's really funny because one when you were saying that thing about the easy chair, 
one time I got um, some a story from, well I got somebody that communicated with me because I you know throughout the years people send you like stories about stuff that they've had experiences they've had and um, I had one where they did this was more recent this was you know now a lot of people put those curbside pickups where they'll leave stuff like you know hey first come if you want to take it you know it's yours sure. and um, apparently uh, this couple uh, this was over here like in central Florida somewhere and uh, it was something similar uh, where I guess an elderly guy they didn't really know per se but he had lived in this house he had died and the family didn't want it and basically they took the furniture and put it out by the by the curb like take whatever you want in other words they were just emptying the house out small house sure. and this couple took uh exactly what you described an easy chair and a little tv like a small tv they took it they're like oh this is great and that's when they started to experience right. phenomena they would come home they would find this tv on which they had definitely Ooh. Uh, they would come yeah. on when they were asleep. Yeah. It would, or it would switch out channels. Let's say they'd be watching it. They'd walk to the kitchen or something, and then they come back, and the channel had switched. You know, like what is going on? <laughs> Same thing That's with the not easy chair. Right? They started uh, having, uh, like, if I think it was a husband, if he ever, like, you know, when you like, you know, in those easy chairs, you kind of pass out, do like a little nap time. They uh -huh. both started to experience. He started having like really bad nightmares, and then eventually they both started having nightmares, even if they were you know, in their beds. And after a while, they kind of like, okay, did you just, oh, and they were having nightmares where they were dreaming the same thing. Like they would, how could we be having the same nightmare? The same dream. Yeah. Right. And, um, I believe if I remember correctly, uh, this guy later on, they found out that he had died apparently from lung cancer and they would be part of their dreams would be seeing like this old man with a lot of smoke and stuff but at that time they they had never they didn't know anything about this so at some point it, it took them a few months to kind of like realize okay what what's what's the what when did this start and they realized this started after we picked up these two items well they got rid of them but they they went back to the location and they talked to a neighbor and that's how they got this you know backstory on who had lived there and what the story was i mean it was nothing about him being but he apparently had lived alone uh and he was you know you know like an older person that lives alone like they spend a lot of time sitting and watching tv and apparently uh -huh. he had had some type of uh lung cancer copd something like that where you know that also like impaired him getting out and um you know he kind of died like even apparently he had family but he kind of died alone and like all they wanted to do was like get rid of all this stuff. They said, sure enough, as soon as they got rid of the TV and the and the chair, the chair. Th that was the end uh -huh. of it. No more phenomena, no more dreams, nothing. You know, it was like a Very... cautionary tale. You know, if yeah. something looks, I, I say, you know, because nowadays, you know, it's not only where you go to flea markets or garage sales or even thrift shops. Sometimes you got to be a little bit careful with stuff. If it gives you the heebie-jeebies, pay attention to the feeling because sometimes you might get you know the attachment in other words it's not that you necessarily have to buy a house that's haunted right. for you to get no. some type of uh effect from you know especially where um something that was used a lot by that person like in other mm -hmm. words they travel with it mm -hmm. because this is where they spent all that time and uh yeah. they're attached to it yeah in some way or another 
Yes. And and what happened eventually with this lady? Did she sell it? Did she stay there? Or what happened with that house? She stayed. stayed. Um, Eventually, the uh, older woman Uh uh, departed. Um, And and one day they were on the couch, she and her boyfriend, and they were watching some television. And she said that the storm door opened all by itself and opened about as far as uh, to let a body out. And then it closed and and snapped shut. And they never had uh, the child spirit again. But they did. But they did experience um, things on the outside of the house. Really, which was which was interesting. Yeah, they um, she had put in a uh, master bedroom basically, mm-hmm. um, and it was it's a, a one story house, but she had put in cathedral ceilings in her master bedroom. Okay. So um, so it was like fifteen feet up in the air, and then they put windows in up at the top, you know, where the roof is. Right. Um, and they would find handprints <laughs> up wow. on these windows that were 15 feet in the air so um and they they'd go and clean them off and apparently they'd show up again so they um they assumed that their um inhabitants their unseen inhabitants had had moved outside well it's possible i mean yeah and and you know what it's really because i i have heard of the phenomena where they say some ghosts or souls are trapped by others that are there and then when you get rid of one then everybody else is able to leave it's almost like they hold them hostage and you know like okay you got rid of the one that was had everybody you know basically roped in who knows what you know what the story was on that um there was one investigation i went on where the house had been built in the 50s but the owners previous to the ones that that were there occupying it he had built like a large, I want to say like addition, and he like a it was like a Florida room or family room, and he really nice paneled, and he had built like a loft, like a two, you know, with one of those spiral staircases, uh-huh. that took you up to the loft. Really, very well done. He, uh, the owner who had occupied the house, who had done that, he dropped dead one day on a, of a heart attack in the house. Um, and then the house had stood empty for a little bit because, you know, the wife and everything, he kind of died, you know, he wasn't that old, but very unexpectedly. But part of the phenomena they were having was really weird because it would only happen in that addition to the house. It's almost like, I mean, there was other stuff going on, um, because of course, like everybody you think of the usual suspect is going to be the guy that dropped dead of a heart attack in a house. Right. But sometimes you get other stuff going on that is not the the usual source that you think of. But, uh, yeah, it's really funny how sometimes they're almost limited to, even though he had lived in the entire house, that owner, stuff mm-hmm. that was tied to him because he had built that house and that loft. It was like his, um, his I want to say like baby. a man cave kind of deal. Yeah. He, in other words, he had built it, even though his, his whole family lived in the house, it was like a man cave and up in that loft he had like, uh, you know, his computer and his, you know, his desk and all that stuff. And uh, a lot of the stuff that was uh, the phenomena was that you would hear would be there. And I, that was really weird. In that investigation, they had um, they had some dogs and they took the trouble, she, the owner, 
uh, well, the owner's girlfriend, she took the dogs to some neighbors that lived like two or three miles away, like made sure, you know, because we asked them, you know, if you can, if you can't, it's okay. And right. um, the next door neighbors, uh, they didn't have dogs and the house that was right next to this, which was a corner house. In other words, this house was the second from the corner, was empty, it was totally empty and they were on a lake. In other words, your source, and, and we were there like maybe a few hours and all of a sudden, when I'm listening back to some of the audio and video, I'm distinctly hearing dogs barking, barking like there, like, you know, when you have dogs living in the house. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. I was like, wait a minute. Bike there were no there. There was yeah. no dogs there. There was no, and I know there were no dogs there. And I even had gone outside and she had even, because when we got there, she left for a few minutes to like take up the dogs away till you drop them off. Miles away. I mean, there's no way sound could travel that much. And um, yeah, besides that phenomena, that was one of those weird things that just drops in that happens in the middle of investigations that you distinctly, not kind of, you distinctly hear his bark, dog barking. And mm -hmm. I realized that when we were hearing it, we did hear it with our real, our ears. But you know, when you're caught up in something and you hear something that's very commonplace, like dogs barking, that you don't realize right, at think. that moment, why are we hearing dogs barking? There's no dogs here. Yeah, interesting. Um, and later on, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, dogs barking? Wait, what dogs? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, sometimes you'll have stuff that you'll hear and you just, it, it doesn't have to be, in other words, really weird. And it was like, so I'm saying it wasn't like whispery or low. It was like a, more than one dog, as a matter of fact, barking. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, uh, that was, that was a weird investigation, but yeah, sometimes, um, you know, I know that, you know, a lot of people say, well, talk about residual stuff, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's a smell or auditory or things like that. And, uh, and another time, but that was, that was a very convoluted, um, case because of the, not only because of the phenomena, but because of, you know, stuff that was going on with the people that were occupying it. Plus the next door neighbor of the house that was empty. It was very, very. It was, you know, it was one of those investigations that from the beginning, at the beginning seems very simple, I guess is what I'm talking. And then once you get into it, it just becomes more convoluted. And you're like, wow, this is, this is a real mind bender as far as where this, the source of this could be coming from, right, um, right. you know, which is when you have to do your research. So let me ask you something. Um, have you, are you, are you still actively, you still have the group, uh, working on investigations? Yes, yes, we still do investigations. Okay. We're not working on anything currently, but um, okay. mostly because the, the book just came out and we've been doing mostly promo for the book. Lately. What's the name but, of, what's, I'm sorry, this is, the, this is not Anatomy of Ghosts. You said that you had written another one. What's the title of that one? Um, it's On the Hunt for the Haunted. Okay, okay, and that just came out? That just came out in April. Okay. Um, and. And it's a book basically about all um, many of our past investigations over the last 10 years. And so okay. the, the long neck house that I was describing to you is in it. We also, I also just um, talk about uh, Fort Delaware, which mm -hmm. is in Delaware City. Um, there's a Hartley House investigation that we did uh, three times, actually. We investigated this house three times, which was, um, and it always, it always, um, gave us a plethora of, of evidence. Um, 
So, yeah, it's a lot of our, our past uh, investigations that were, you know, of the more um, interesting type. So, Do you still, do you only work, what is it? Is it only, for, do you cover only like the Delaware area or do you go outside of that area if somebody calls you for No, house? we go, we definitely go outside. Um, we're 15 minutes away from the Delaware-Maryland border, so we've okay. done a lot of investigations in Maryland and... Um, Okay. I think I talk about my house in uh, Pennsylvania as well. So right. basically I, all on the East Coast, but yeah. I tell people I've had stories ex very, you know, along the same lines that there's no, there's no resolution. In other words, you move in there, you have these experiences, and then well, like what happened with you? You moved away. You, you never, you never find out who, what, how. It's just the experience in and of itself. Right. Uh, and then, of course, and, and and even you, like you said, you moved away so far. You can, you never even find out. Hey, did anybody that moved in after me ever have the same experience? What came of that? Right. So yeah, yeah. it would have been nice, yeah, to to have talked to owners after us, but um, no, we never got the opportunity. So yeah, yeah, people. I have I have people that will tell me, oh, when they were kids or they were teenagers, like, yeah, we lived in this house and it was like terrifying, and but then. We moved away. In other words, see, they didn't have power over it, so they their parents decided to move. That was it. That was the end of that. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, Robert, I want to thank you so much for uh, talking about your investigations, your experiences. Let me ask you: if somebody wanted to uh, get the book, can do they go directly to your website? Which, for my podcast listeners, what is your website? Um, our website address is DelawareParanormal.org. Okay. All lowercase. Uh, but it's also available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And okay. It's available through Llewellyn Worldwide, who is my okay. publisher. Okay. Uh, IndieBooks.org. Okay. Basically available on, you know, at any of those venues. Okay. Um, if they order it direct through our website, mm -hmm. it will come um, um, postage-free and signed by the author. So. That's Perfect. The, the one advantage of yeah ordering it from from us, but absolutely yes, that's fantastic. Yeah. And um, are you going to be because I know you said sometimes you've done events. Are does your group do anything now for the Halloween season? Even though I know we're a couple of months out, but I know a lot of people now are preparing for what they're going to be doing for October, the Halloween season. Yeah. Um, well, we're still kind of putting things together. I know I'm doing a, a book signing at the Greyhound Bookstore okay. in October. Um, okay. <laughs> I know it's like it, people, I know a lot of people are like, you know, I tell everybody, this is just like right after summer vacation, September, you walk into stores and you've already got the autumn and the Halloween and even some Thanksgiving stuff up. I go for people right. that are going to this is people start planning stuff now even now for what they're going to be doing into the fall season and um october is uh you know is the, is the perfect time for you know as far as any events or taking you know either the tours or or even the book signings which your book sounds ideal for that but again yeah. thank you so much i want to wish you the best of luck on any new projects oh, and also you. with your group and um uh, of course uh i'll put a link to the to your website on the credits of the show so if okay. anybody wants to jump on over there and either get in touch with you whether it's for the books or because they want to you know contact you about any type of experience or an investigation they can get a hold of you absolutely all righty darling thank you so much 
Thank you, and, and good luck with your group as well. So. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So, wasn't she an interesting lady? Let me tell you something. <laughs> For all of you, because, you know, when when I've had so many uh, guests that, they, you know, when I ask them that question, oh, when, when was your first experience with the paranormal and it's like a childhood thing? Look at her. Here she grows up. Yeah. Interested in the paranormal, of course. You know, kids read, you know, mystery stories. It's, it's you know, it's it's like, you know, that little let's get scared and, and everything. But that's totally different. You have to understand that's, that's like fantasy made up. You get scared a little bit and then that's it. Then here she's an adult, which I love that story. Absolutely love it. Here she is because I, I can, I, I, I am... I have a lot of empathy for what what she was talking about that you've just moved in you have baby a toddler two-year-old all right and the last thing you're thinking of is having a paranormal experience or seeing anything you know you're you know when she's saying you know we're uh, basically moving in and go to sleep fall asleep exhausted at midnight, I've been there, done that. <laughs> Where, and obviously, in other words, she's probably sleeping deeper, even though it was a different house, probably than she even normally would because she's exhausted. She wakes up and she sees a little kid crouching over her, which of course she doesn't wig out because she's thinking, it's my little boy. Okay, wow. So see, she did have that and like I say, you know, obviously, you know, she was there a very short time. When you think about it, two years flies and she sounds like she was really busy. And then, you know, she never really had a chance to investigate. In other words, if, you know, little did she know that later on she was going to go and be part of a team and then create her own team uh, to find out what was the history on the house uh, or if something had happened and... Uh, that thing where, you know, her mom is hearing this child playing on the back stairs, which, yes, that was very common. Uh, these back stairs would be the ones that the servants would use. Uh, in other words, to go back up and down. Um, this was, this was in these older homes, this was, this was very common. Uh, and that that child, her mom, who's, of course, another skeptic, you know, here's a child playing in the back stairs, assumes the same thing she did, that it's her grandson, only to find out there's nobody there. And of course, and this is the thing, when she's hearing what sounds like a child playing, it's distinct enough that she knows what it is, enough to the point that she's concerned, these are steep stairs and my grandchild's gonna get hurt is he's going to fall or whatever. Again, she's not looking at paranormal experience. I love that story. I love that story because when I hear those stories, again, it's very different from the person that's doing the ghost hunt. Or anything, they're looking, they're waiting, they're primed for having that aha moment. It's no, it's when you don't, when you're just like living life, what I call living life, that it kind of kabongs you on the head. Uh, sometimes not so subtly, other times very subtly. Um, and contrary to what most people believe, 
most people like try to explain it away by regular means you know they don't think it's ghostly or they assume or something that they hear they're not thinking oh that's the ghost on the back stairs or oh it's a little kid ghost no you're like you're thinking of you know my child my grandson the pet uh a million things it's not only till you go look that you realize and then her mom <laughs> sits on the information for two years. Well, that's and, I, and I've told this story before. I have an aunt. Well, she's late in her late eighties now. You know, all the time I knew her, she's well, I still know her obviously, but very like very cut and dry. No superstition, no ghost. That's BS. Blah blah. And, you know, very um. For lack of a better word, almost unimaginative if you want to think, go in that direction. None of this flight of fancy, uh, you know. And if people would ever talk about having any type of uh, encounter with a paranormal, it was like, oh, they're over-imaginative. That, you know, or their imagination is running away with them. Or they're lying or anything but. And then this just happened a few years ago. I cannot remember how the conversation started on that. And she's talks about when she's a little girl maybe six or seven years old her she's my mom's younger sister and when they were in grade school my grandmother was sending them to what was called it was like a boarding school at a convent that was close by and um basically they were living there and this was a very very old uh compound because it was like the school the church, the convent. This was, these were, as you know, these are older buildings back then. They used to build them. Beautiful architecture, but very large. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, because this was uh, in Cuba, this was some of it dated back to the time of the Spaniards. I mean, we're talking hundreds of years. This is very old Gothic style architecture. So she says that, I remember, I've never forgotten it. This She was telling the story how She's a little girl and she's sitting in her classroom and all of a sudden she says she looks at the doorway of the classroom and I'm thinking this must have been like date wise I want to say it was maybe late 1930s when this occurred late 1930s early 1940s she looks at the entrance to the classroom and she sees a little altar boy standing there in the doorway of the classroom and she says that all she could see was that he looked very sad that he had a very sad look on his face but even as a little girl she's thinking why is a little altar boy doing in the school like in other words remember once upon a time they would uh in these uh catholic you know boarding school kind of they were was segregated in other words you didn't have co-ed classes you know they would teach the girls they would keep them apart so to her to see a little altar boy there, of course she's a kid, and he appeared solid enough that she mistook him for a real life boy. And she's thinking two things. One, why does he look so sad? Two, what is he doing here? Because he's an altar boy, plus he's not supposed to be here, all the little things, even as a kid that go through your mind in seconds. She says she looks away, she looks back, and he's gone. In other words, she realizes there's a place for him to have gone. And I remember her, when she's talking about this story, I'm looking at her and I'm like, you knew that was, I mean, maybe not right that moment. You know, you 
you know, you're a child. I think she was like seven or eight years old. But you realized later on, I'm sure like a lot of people do when they look at childhood experiences that they had a paranormal event or they saw a ghost. And you carry on sometimes like people who talk about ghosts and seeing things that they're full of BS. And here you had one that you know definitely there was no way for you to explain how you were seeing this little altar boy appear suddenly in your in the entrance to your classroom in this really super old building complex. And then you blink your eyes and basically disappears. So, and I've said this story before, for all the people running around talking about their paranormal experiences, some which are true, which are not. Some people have experiences which they believe are true, but they never investigate, but the actual source is not really supernatural. But they, it's not that they're lying. They truly believe that what they experienced was for real paranormal. And they run out of the house, in other words, or they run away or they whatever. They never go and say, you know, what was it that made that noise or what, whatever. There's a bunch of diehard skeptics or the ones that profess no such thing as a paranormal or a ghost or blah 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 which if they they have these moments of honesty or sympathetic audience or at some point they realize who cares <laughs> you know that they say they talk about maybe a bunch of experience or maybe just that one experience because at this point i don't need, i have never asked my aunt again but it makes me wonder has she ever had any other experiences that she just never talked about you know, um, where, you know, they, that, believe me, that some of these people take these, 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 uh, almost like what her mom did, you know, well, her mom took her two years, but talked about it. Uh, they just take it to the grave. They just never talk about it. Either one, because nobody ever asks them, or if I don't talk about it, it's not real, or I don't want to, I don't want to have a discussion about this. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if her mom, I mean, think about it. Her mom only confesses to this after she makes the remark about, I think my house is haunted. And her mom is like, who she's expecting is going to poo-poo the idea. It's going to go, yeah, because I had this experience. It's almost like, you know, I, I have to keep up my diehard skeptic reputation, especially with my daughter, who maybe I've, dismissed anything having to do with the supernatural and the only time I'm going to admit to having this experience was well well she brought it up so it's safe to talk about it so a lot of people take stuff to them to their grave just because nobody because of course you know and I'm sure everybody either knows either as a friend or a, even a family member that's the die hard we're like yo that's a bunch of bs you guys are crazy how can you believe that stuff so nobody ever asks them, by the way, have you ever had any that experience? So that's, you know, they, stories untold. There's a lot of them out there, which brings me to the point of, if you're one of these, if you're one of these who's had those experiences that you've never talked about, you can tell me, I would love to hear about it, and I will keep you anonymous. If you want to, if you don't, whatever, I'll get in touch with me, MarlenaMimigosChronicles.com. Or go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com and there's a Submit Your Story tab. And you can either write it. I will interview you uh, on Skype or on the phone or however you like. If you want to retell it yourself. If not, I'll retell it. Well, however you want to do it. 
I I would love to hear these stories, especially if it's something. I believe me, <laughs> you're not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna hear anything that I'm gonna go. Oh, what is that? Believe me, I most probably have heard it all, and plus extra. So if you're looking for a sympathetic and understanding, receptive uh, audience of one, that's me. So if you got a story like that or series of them of experiences, maybe you've had more than one experience and you've just said, no, you know, I'll just keep this information to myself. Get in touch with me and let me know about it. And uh, because... I think there's a lot of you running around out there with all these stories buried inside of you that deserve to be told. <laughs> so guys, again, thank you so much for being part of my audience. Take care. You're all wonderful. Come back next week. I've got a lot of fantastic, interesting guests. Also on the website, you know, you can also find uh, any of my appearances that I've done on other talk shows and other paranormal talk shows, other interviews that I've done with different um different shows different hosts which great hosts uh you can either listen to it or even download the mp3 file just go to miamigoschronicles.com take care and see you then <laughs>